Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher bakarbanu mikol hamim, Venatan lanu et orato, Baruch atah Adonai, Noten haTorah, Amen. Baruch habab Hashem Adonai, Let the resurrection begin. Come on! Well, it's Parsha Nitzavim. Normally, Nidzavim and Parsha Vayelek are one Torah portion. So this is what I would like to point out because this is why we either have 53 Torah portions, which is the Gematria of Gan, which is garden, like paradise. So the Torah should be a paradise for us. So if we don't ever feel like we're getting back in the garden, and if we don't want the Torah, then that means we don't want to be in the garden. Second of all, this is why if you split up Parsha Nidzavim and Vayelik, like we will this year, we're going to have 54 Torah portions, which is the Gematria of Dean or Dan. You know, shouts out to the tribe of Dan, but judgment. And so, uh, and judgments can be favorable as Bezrat Hashem we will bring up because I will have a little bitty drop on Yom Kippur because you want to try to stay 30 days ahead of all of your Yom Tovim, by the way. So if you know that different things are coming up, try to stay on the cusp of 30 days before you're already studying about it. So had a Yom Kippur sighting on last Shabbat, so I want to bring that up because as we mentioned about judgment, it's so, so beautiful on Yom Kippur because we know Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are judgment days. Rosh Hashanah is one of the four major times of judgment. So without further ado, I hope everyone is really, you know, pressing in and uh, turning it up, so to speak. Taking it to the next level as we're closing out the month of Elul, headed into the month of Tishri. So, a uh, beautiful month, the month of Bereshit for sure, because uh, Be Tishrei Aleph is literally a way to permutate the word Bereshit. So, on the first of Tishrei, so the day of Bereshit, basically. That's what we're looking at. And so Rabbi Trugman also brings down that from Rosh Hashanah all the way through Simchat Torah, those 21 days can be rolled into one long day. So that that was just uncalled for, but uh, that's what he did. And so I think it's important for us to know that because we want to inherit a day that is all Shabbat, a day that is all good, a day that is joyous. And furthermore, I want to encourage us to continue to grow in our joy because the word joy rearranges to Mashiach. So we should be filled with Mashiach. May it be so. This is why one of the big reasons why we do tags, you know, when we're studying in a group setting, why we talk about the Avengers and why we make all sorts of puns. Because if you don't have any joy observing, studying, davening, then, you know, not only see a Zakin immediately, but talk to Hashem. Ask him to renew your soul. Seriously. 
because, you know, tis the season. One of the things that I did not get to mention in all of my podcasting during the month of Elul so far, the month of Elul is directly opposite the month of Adar, which is the month of Purim. So, you know, we've gone through the month of Elul and we're past the 15th, the 14th and the 15th of Elul. And those would be the mirror reflections of Yom Kippur. So looking at the fancy calendar here. I'm going to go over here because the 14th of Elul was on a Shabbat for Parsha. So uh, that is a, a very, very auspicious day. But yes, the 14th of Elul. So, you know, this is kind of like the time frame of remembering to blot out the name of Amalek. And literally that came up at the end of Parsha Kitetse, which I just think is so beautiful how Hashem has had how Hashem has everything so mirrored, you know? And so one of the things about Amalek, you know, during the month of Adar is that's who we remember and we battle against to get into Pesach, to get into the season of redemption, you know, the season of our freedom. So now we're getting into the season of our joy. And one of the ways that we got to get into that season is we got to battle against Amalek with a hidden hiddenness if that makes any sense because Purim is all about hidden miracles but now in Elul we got Hashem is in the field so everything is open but yet there's a hiddenness that this is like the month of Adar this is like a Purim so we're hiding behind all of that but hiding behind all of our teshuva, all of our crying out, all of our ugly face, all of our, and I say ugly face because of the tears. We should have an ugly face right now. Everybody should be ugly, you know, because this ain't time to be cute. Okay. You can be cute on uh, Sukkot, but until then, you know, we ain't trying to be cute because it's judgment time. Right. So, you know, blowing the shofar sounding, you know, writing down our sins and confessing them before Shem and tearing them up. I got to do that this year um, on a whole nother level uh, because I was going through uh, hardship during the time that I was doing this. And I'm like, not only am I a little frustrated right now, but I'm also going to be confessing my sin right now. And so, you know, this all this stuff is going on. And I just want to bless Hashem and, and Bezrat Hashem, you do the same thing. Because, you know, hardships are everywhere. We got so much of our mishpachah in need of prayer. We're all like rallying around one another. And it's cool. All of us basically are spiritual wolverines. You know, whatever the female version of that is, the X-23, I guess. Because we all have a regeneration ability. No matter how beat down we get, no matter how sick we get, no matter how just distraught we get, we have the privilege and the opportunity to rise back up. So may there be refuah shlema for us all. May Hashem fight our battle, champion our fights, hurry to redeem us, speedily redeem us. This is why I always want to make sure that as I am um, podcasting the GT series, 
GT again is Geula talk, redemption talk. Like everything that we do, like from yesterday forward, has to be in the framework of redemption. So nobody knows when Mashiach is going to return. He doesn't even know. He's sitting at the gates of Rome right now, wrapping his bandages one at a time. We're really praying that he can like wrap one more bandage and be done. But should he tarry, you know, we will make sure that we avenge the world as much as possible. So as, as we're making like big life decisions and things like that, we want to always keep the redemption in mind. We don't want to ever make this exile work, you know, like, yes, make sure there's food on the table. Yes, make sure you take care of your priorities and your obligations. But trying to to settle, retire, like any of that kind of settling, you don't want to ever do that. You want to always anticipate the arrival of Mashiach. This is probably, you know, cookie cutter information that you're probably like, yes, we already know that. So why are we taking time? Come on. I know you got hours worth of stuff, right? So um, I just want to just point that out that, you know, keep the redemption in mind. Let us always pray the redemption. You know, one of the things I've done, I have done is increase saying Baruch HaBashem Adonai. And coupling that with Hashem, I accept your Yeshua. I ask you to reveal Mashiach ben David and the final redemption speedily in our days. Like, I say that with my restroom prayer now, with my uh, blessing before, uh, blessing after eating, whether it's the Birkat Hamazon or Borei Nefeshot or the other blessing that we recite uh, for eating of the five grains that are not bread. You know, so all these are in your Siddur. And, you know, just any moment that it hits me, I just pray for it, you know. So I just want to encourage us to do that because, you know, we got to flood the system. A Amelech and baseless doubt, as I mentioned in yesterday's podcast, I mean, it's it's everywhere. I mean, there are so many reasons for us to not look for the redemption. And so may we look for it so that's my intro so without further ado let's go ahead and get into the nizavim gt first up let's talk numbers all right so this is the 51st potashah of the torah portion series and you know we talked about the 50 being the jubilee 51 is like that next step. So this is like the beginning, uh, you know, after, you know, the, the, the Jubilee. So what do you do after you're set free? What do you do? And uh, Parsha Nitzavim gives us a clue to that, that we basically rectify the garden. I find it very beautiful that the Torah itself is a bookend that not only do we ever end the Torah, because we never do, we always read the end of Devarim right into the second chapter of Bereshit, you know, uh, for Simchat Torah. So that's how we end the Torah portions. We end it by finishing in the second chapter of the first Torah portion. So the last and the first are literally one, the Aleph and the Tav. So one of the things about this 
as Parsha Nitzavim teaches us about being guarantors for one another, like we are our brother's keeper. And when that becomes the case, there is no way for Cain to kill Hevel, Cain and Abel. You don't have that incident to happen. So Mashiach also did the same thing when he says, a new command I give you that you shall love one another. And you think about he told us this, you know, as he took his last Seder with us, you know, before being offered as an Akedah on Pesach or heir of Pesach. And so you see this beautiful picture about, you know, right before the Redeemer passes away, that there is this renewal that happens and takes place. Because Moshe, he's getting ready to pass away. Like he's getting ready to be gathered into his people. Hashem is going to bury him and, and things like that. So anyway, um, this is the, the bookend here we have. So the 51st Torah portion and this is the eighth Torah portion of our Ant-Man size of the Torah portion. Because remember, Sefer Devarim is a whole nother Torah scroll itself, you know, and, and uh, idea and insight. Not necessarily saying separate Devarim because the Torah is five books. But Devarim is called the Mishnah Torah, like the repetition of Torah. So it's like the Cliff Note versions. It's the small size uh, the small size, basically, account of the Torah. And so, when you look at this, it is the eighth parsha. Now, let's talk eight. Eight is about new beginnings. Eight is about the dwelling, the inhabitation with Hashem. You know, that we're uh, in our sukkah, if you will. Because the sukkah is the tent that we hide in with Hashem. And for Sukkot, that's the eighth festival, the eighth Yom Tov that Hashem gave us. So when we look at this, we have this idea of being in a sukkah with Hashem. And this would be why the Kerhurt Humash opens up in the overview by saying that Nidzavim and Vayelik are two parshot that are normally read together. And according to some opinions, they're actually one parsha, which is only occasionally split in two. That's from Rabbi Sadia Gaon and the Sidur and also Keriyat HaTorah. And Lakute Sikot, volume 19, page 298, says their common theme, as we said, is the covenant. Notice it says covenant and not testament. Many people say, oh, yeah, we got the New Testament now, you know, and that's the new covenant. And it's just like, those are not the same words. The word is actually Brit, and Brit is, doesn't mean testament, it means covenant. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. So I'll, I will definitely make a second uh, recording for that because I'm going to just make sure I stay on track and, and do that. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. So 
with the common theme being the covenant, the Brit, Habrit. Notice it is Habrit. Now, we have the covenant between the parts. We have the covenant with Noah and his sons. We have the, co the covenant that Hashem made with Yitzhak. We have the covenant that Hashem made with Yaakov. The covenant he made with Yosef. The covenant he made with the children of Israel and Moshe at Har Sinai. And now we got another covenant that's being made in the plains of Moab. And then we're going to have another covenant when we get into uh, the land after crossing the Jordan under Yehoshua. And it's like, and then we're going to have another covenant with David, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And so it's just kind of like, okay, so we got all these covenants, but they're all called the covenant. There's only one covenant. And so whenever we talk about renewals and aspects of the covenant, they're they're just elucidating and, and unpacking that, you know, because we know Hashem is infinite. And so this is kind of like why we can read the same Torah portions every year, but all the time new things come out. Notice I said new things come out. And the fact is, is those things aren't new. They're just being revealed. And so when you really look at new insights that come out from reading the same passage, new uh, understanding and new things that develop in us as we daven the same prayers on a daily basis, like this is all a beautiful reflection of the picture of the covenants. Like it's just one covenant, but there's David in there, Abraham's in there, the patriarch, you know, um, and then you got Noah in there, you got Adam, you know, like all of that. So just a little uh, drop on that for us. And it says Parsha Nitzavim focuses on God's side of the covenant, while Parsha Vayelek focuses on the Jewish people's side. Okay. So with this being the 51st Torah portion, it's Hashem. And then we got the 52nd Torah portion being Vayelech is Yehudim Yisrael, right? So with that being said, this is another reason why 52, which is the gematria of Ben, is the son of Hashem, which is Yisrael, not only Yaakov, because Yaakov's name is Yisrael, but also all of the congregation of Israel and also Mashiach. So you have Yaakov, Yisrael Avinu, and you have Klal Yisrael, and then you have Mashiach Yeshua. And these are all called the son of Hashem. And this is Parsha Vayelik, which corresponds to 52. So between your Jubilee, which will be Parsha Kitavo, entering in, you're going to be Hashem unified with his Mashiach. And according to Mashiach's very words in Yochanan chapter 17, that eternal life is knowing Hashem and his Mashiach. So literally the Torah implanting eternal life within us, that's what we're in right now as we're looking at Nidzavim and Vayelik. Hashem is going to lead out and we attach and connect through Yisrael, through Yaakov, through Mashiach Yeshua. 
it's all together and this is called the covenant by the way so our covenant is overflowing with eternal life if you will so that's your 51 52 and then i just want to drop this in from the uh overview as well it says netzavim means standing okay so we got this idea of hashem standing right and helping us to stand and then it says vayelik means and he walked this is used in the akida account for what uh, Abraham and Yitzhak did to become unified to offer themselves as a living Corbin. And that, notice I said themselves, like it was just one. So the father and the son were unified, which is the word Evan, by the way. Father and son are in the word Evan. And then you got the fact that, and by the way, Evan is also 53. So you know, the garden and the foundation stone have the same gematria. The father and the son has the same gematria as gun and, you know, the foundation stone. And this is our Torah portions. So anyway, and that's by Yelik. So the father and the son are unified and they offer themselves because Abraham and Yitzhak looked exactly alike. So when Abraham was offering his son on the altar, he was literally offering himself. This is why we know that it was Hashem who was bound up in Mashiach as he was on the crucifixion stake. So literally, my God was offered in our place because, again, remember the word Elohai, which means my God. If you rearrange Elohai, it becomes Ha-Ayil, which is the word the Ram. So the ram is what was bound in Yitzhak's place on the altar, which was by default bound in Abraham's place on the altar. And notice the father was the one who actually did all of the the uh, the slaughtering process for the ram. So Abraham, you know, he dressed it. He, you know, cut up the parts. He drained its blood. And there's a beautiful uh, midrash that talks about Abraham's tears and his prayers throughout the whole process of offering this ram about may this be accredited as it as if it was my son, Yitzhak, my only begotten son. Like it's a beautiful, you know, just amazing read because and study you know, so chock full of insight, because when we understand what happened to Mashiach, this is why we have to confess that for ourselves to take that upon ourselves to accrue that merit, you know, so it's not a whole like church or Christian thing to be like, oh, I got to confess and, you know, put my faith and trust in Yeshua. It's like, no, you got to do the same thing Abraham did to the ram when he offered his son which looked like himself. So he was really offering himself. So you got your standing and you got your walking. And it says the adjective standing implying maintenance of a firm, which by the way is the word amuna. So the word for faith is all about firm. And it says, and immutable posture is most aptly applied to God, who by definition is absolute, 
unchanging, say unchanging, unchanging, perfection, immutable. Okay, so firm, immutable posture, aptly applied to God. His definition is absolute and he's unchanging perfection. As in Malachi 3, 6, I am God. I have not changed. See, Nidzavim applies to us in this parsha, right? Because this teaches us about Rosh Hashanah, as was brought down in the Humash, that this is all about standing before Shem and Judgment Day. You know, we're all passing before him like lambs and, and sheep or sheep and goat, by the way. So, you know, who goes to the left, who goes to the right. That's all a Rosh Hashanah drop. So, but really at the core of Nitzavim is about Hashem, the one who is called, quote unquote, standing because of his firmness, his immutable posture, and his definition being absolute, unchanging perfection. So, let's go to the other side. The Yehudi, the Jew, however, is intended to walk an infinite road of self-refinement. An infinite road of self-refinement. That's what we walk. On this path, there is an infinite amount of refinement that we can make. This is why we keep getting illumination after illumination. Insight after insight, Bezrat Hashem. Because we're growing. We're changing. We're, quote-unquote, evolving. You know, and I put the quotes on it because sometimes evolve is a hot, a hot word. And so, you know how I'm about those because it's just, it is what it is. But we do, we grow, we evolve. There are things that we're doing now that we didn't even think we'd ever be doing. And things we're not doing now that we're going to be doing. And so that's a beautiful drop because, you know, Vayelek also is related to the word Holek or Halak, which is Halaka, which is walking which is the way that you accrue your observance of halakha, that you walk into it. You don't run into it. You don't fall into it. You don't get guilt tripped into it. You walk into it. Because when you uphold halakha, you want to make sure that this is, this is observance that you're able to uphold, first of all, without backslacking, you know, uh, backsliding there we go and you also want to make sure that this is halakha you're upholding with joy because the moment you put yourself in a place that you're not joyous about doing something for Shem, that's a that's a hold up tap the brakes and stop take a pit stop you know check the engine check the hood see what's going on so that's how it's supposed to look because when you have an infinite road of self-refinement and you're always changing Joy has to be the catalyst. Okay, so be careful on that. Uh, it says, thus said the God of hosts, if you walk in my paths, plural, and keep my charge, singular, you also will rule my house and guard my courts and will be in and I will enable you to walk in contrast to the angels who only stand stationary. That's from Zechariah 3.7 with a little bit of insight. 
So we have this idea of Hashem and the angels. It's standing, it's static, it's firm. Then we have the idea with walking, which applies to us as Yehudim, that we're always growing, we're always changing. So that's the beauty of Netzavim and Vayelik and their meaning and why would you put them together versus take them apart and read them as two separate Torah portions. But they're literally one. So the gematria of Nidzavim is 192. And the 192 corresponds to the word kabetz. As in our Shemona Yesrei Bracha, where we talk about Hashem gathering us in. And as I say in my song, like the wings of a talis gather us into that one piece which, by the way, is Kabbat Zenu Yachad. Gather us together from the four corners of the earth. This is also why some you will see uh, grab the four corners of their talit during the Shema to say the Shema. So it's all about this end gathering that's going on. So that is the 10th bracha of the Shemona Esrei. And what I love about this is the 10th bracha corresponds to gathering in the 10 tribes, believe it or not, because of Yeshayahu chapter 11, verse 12. Because in our Siddur, it cites, see Yeshayahu eleven twelve for the uh, kibbutz galiot. So gather us in from the exiles, which is the Shemoni Esrei Bracha that I'm talking about. So may it be that Hashem sound the great shofar. A teka be shofar gadol lecherutenu. Amen. When the shofar sounds, we will be free. So may it be so, because that is the jubilee. That's the, the 50 we talked about. So here's the commentary on Yeshayahu 11, verse 12. He will raise a banner for the nations. At that time, God will arouse the nations of the world to send away the Jewish inhabitants of their lands. It will be as though he raised a banner as a signal for them to do so. That's from the Mezudo. says, and assemble the castaways of Israel, and he will gather in the dispersed ones. There it is right there. Yekabetz. Okay, he will gather in the dispersed ones of Yehuda. It says, the castaways of Israel are the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, for they were exiled to a single area. The kingdom of Yehuda, however, was dispersed among the nations of the world. The messianic ingathering, i.e. when Mashiach returns, of the exiles will be total and complete with all the Jews Returning to the land of Israel, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom together with the dispersed of Yehuda. That's from the Abarbanel. I find it very interesting. They say that the ten tribes were dispersed to a single area. But yet all of these campaigns that are going on in the world have like, oh, we're a ten tribe. We're a ten tribe. And it's like they're all scattered all over the place. Not to throw shade, but since we're about truth over facts here. Just want to point that out. Okay. So 
this word kabetz, which is kuf, like the crazy kuf, vet, which is like a bet, but a vet sound. And then you got the sadi so feet. So when you look at this word, it means to press, to gather, as in uh, talking about a little snippet of a tractate of Vodazera 19a. But if he collects learning little by little, he will increase it. Which I would love to bring up something that Dr. Sakal shared with me. Dr. Sakal, I just want to shout you out publicly on this podcast that you need to get some help. So he's been doing this thing where he shares with me insights from the the Mishle that we're studying every day. And then he's also sharing like everything and the kitchen sink and whatever the kitchen sink sits in and that little spray nozzle that comes with it. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. I'm like, bro, what is wrong with you? Like, why? Why are you doing this? But anyway, uh, so he has a beautiful drop here. Just want to share from one of our Mishle passages. It says, don't try to get rich in your studies by learning heaps of unrelated details, which you will only forget Try to understand how the various details fit logically together. And that is from Hulin 6A. So this was a a whole snippet uh, talking about uh, our learning of Torah. So I'm going to go to context here. Kind of anchor this down. And this is from Mishle 23. Yep. So Mishle 23, verse 4. Talking about trying to get rich. Okay. And also, when you look at this word for kabetz, it's it's a teaching for us on how we're actually supposed to study. So it's little by little and we increase. And then it says, um, it's also the word for to collect, as in collecting all the exiles, right? We just talked about that. And it also says to be collected, to be gathered, and also to leap, and also joint, like to join together. So this is the meaning of the word chabetz. So when we're looking at Nidzavim, there's this idea of the gathering. And literally, Moshe has everyone there together, gathered. And as if that wasn't enough, let's see, where did I put this insight? Because I couldn't handle it, but uh, it was, oh, it's right here. It's from the Kehrt Humash, literally right out of the gate on the Hasidic Insights. It says... With all future generations, the Torah transcends the limitations of time and space. So this is why this is another reason why you can't say Yeshua did away with the Torah. That's like blasphemy at its its highest form, because you're saying that Yeshua basically died for no reason. And it's a 
it's a game that people are playing to make people show up to a building on Sundays and uh, guilt trip them and fear them into professing salvation. That's very cruel. That is very wicked because the very judgment you put people under and tell them that they need the Messiah then after they accept the Messiah, then you go, OK, now that you've accepted him, do whatever you want. Like, does anybody else see the the error with that? Because, I mean, that's just kind of crazy. It's just like, so why did I need to accept him? Like, if I'm going to live the same way I lived before I accepted him, which was doing whatever I wanted. And then you tell me I have to accept him so that I can do whatever I want. But then when I do whatever I want, I just have to make sure it lines up with going to church and, you know, not trampling grace underfoot, whatever that means. Which, by the way, I don't think anyone knows what that means. Who's teaching that? Because it would have to take Hebrew to be able to know exactly what that means. Because you have to understand what grace is from its original meaning, uh, not just from, you know, the gospel message that has been taught for thousands of years with no fruit. Um, so yeah, there's probably been small batches of fruit, you know, there, there's been a, a, a good, you know, push for, Hey, let's do nice things for people. But in the truest sense of bringing redemption to the world, truly bringing people out of darkness and bondage, because what the grace message has done is created a lot of bondage because now people can't experience the true freedom of God because they're taught everything that leads them away from the freedom of God. If you had the opportunity to sit at a Shabbat table. I mean, wow. And furthermore, that's not just an infrequent thing like Shabbat happens every seventh day so six days you shall do your work on the seventh day you shall rest so because of grace now no one gets a rest and they just keep going because they can have shabbat whenever they want which means well if i want to but i don't think i want to because i got so much stuff to do and that's usually what ends up happening it's the the same thing about oh i can pray whenever i want because i'm supposed to pray without ceasing but because you can pray whenever you want, you don't ever really get a good solid prayer time. I'm saying that from my own personal experience, because I remember before having a Siddur and learning about Shakarit, Minka, Marif, not having a set prayer time, even if the best I tried, there was always something that would come up. But the beautiful thing about Judaism, it's so consistent. There's always a prayer time. So whether you miss it or not, you know when the next prayer time is. And so as you're taking your I'm going to pray without ceasing, you can like, OK, well, since it's without ceasing, you know, the next prayer time, get in there. So that's just kind of interesting that there is such a bondage because people don't know anything about, you know, the holidays that Hashem gave us. And people think Hashem gave us Xmas. People think Hashem gave us Halloween. And we can dress up and tell people they better give us candy or something bad is going to happen to them. You know, and it's just kind of like, wow. So that's the kingdom of God. That's what we're going for. And we want to dress up like the very one who tortures us, you know, like demons and stuff. 
So I think that's very interesting that the bondage of grace has created this. And furthermore, from um, some other insights that I've been studying this week, one of the pieces of information that has come out is that the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil caused fear to be the foundational aspect of mankind. So when we partook of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, fear became like our main thing. Partaking of the tree of life, love becomes like your main thing. This is why it is written, perfect love casts out fear. Because once you have spit out the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you've cast out your own desires. You've cast out your old life. You've died to yourself. You've lost your life for the sake of Mashiach. And once you have done that, you've crossed over from death into life. You now partake of the tree of life, which perpetuates that life and love becomes your main thing. And what is love? Love is observing the, the commands of Hashem. So when you do that, now you truly operate in the way you're supposed to. So here's the deal. The one place and the one message that is established on fear is the grace message. Again, the bondage of grace is causing people to fearfully enter into a relationship with Hashem. And in so much as doing so, never ever coming to a true deep place of loving Hashem. Why? Because the very aspect of love is discouraged. What is that? Because Yeshua says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whose commandments is Mashiach talking about? Because he said, whatever is mine is my father. Like, I don't have anything of my own. Like, if you connect all those dots. So, I find it just so interesting that the very place that's supposed to say, oh, get to know God and, you know, get saved, which, by the way, comes from the word Yeshua. And no one really calls Mashiach Yeshua, you know, anyway, that teach this bondage of grace message. So it's just kind of like when they say, are you saved? It's kind of like, what are you really saying? Because like. Am I getting saved from, you know, uh, a small paycheck or what are you talking about? Because the judgment that we need to get saved from hasn't happened yet. And furthermore, when Rosh Hashanah comes around every year, this bondage of grace group is teaching something else. And a lot of people don't even know Rosh Hashanah is happening. I can just tell you, my coworkers are like, Amet, why are you off of work so many days? Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, just it's holiday season, you know, tis the season. And they're like, it's it's September and October. Like, what are you talking about? And none of those days correspond to any of the, the church days. And I'm like, well, I'm not a Christian, you know. Um, yeah. And these holidays are in the Torah. So like. If people read the Bible, they would be able to see them. So, you know, I can point those out so you can see that. And I know it's kind of awkward because it says first month, first day of the month, 10th day of the month, 
15th day of the month, you know, 21st day of the month. Like, it's kind of weird because it's like, it's all numbers and like, it doesn't ever say like January or anything. So I know that's kind of awkward, but that's the thing. So the bondage of grace has caused so much illiteracy when it comes to the word of Hashem, because the very place of intimacy with Hashem, which is the Torah, is cast out. So when you cast out freedom, you basically by default are in bondage just due to the law of displacement. It's like you get rid of freedom. What do you have? Bondage. You're in jail. OK, so best right of Shem, everybody gets out of jail. And, you know, this is why, you know, I podcast. Another reason why I podcast. I have a hundred reasons. One of them is I want people to get out of jail. The cool thing about being in jail of the grace bondage is that you get to choose to open the gate and walk out because nobody's keeping you in there. But the, the the floating heads that are surrounding you and the voices that are telling you, no, don't do that Jewish stuff. No, stay away from that law. Like, don't do it. The law is bondage. Nobody can keep it. Well, David kept it. Yeshua kept it. Uh, Kepha kept it. Shaul kept it. Abraham kept it. Noah kept it, which is awkward when you talk about Noahites because Noah taught the Torah. So what are you really doing with that? But anyway, a lot of people kept it. Anybody that you want to talk about in the Bible, as far as the heroes of our quote unquote faith, you know, like they kept it. Why did I say quote unquote, just as a vernacular term of, you know, heroes of the faith, because it's really, they're not heroes of the faith. There are people like you and I who trusted in Hashem and walked in his ways. So if you want to call that a hero, then yeah, Baruch Hashem, but it's living it out. So back to the insight though, it says towards outside of space and time, Therefore, even today, affirming our covenant with God, how? By resolving to study the Torah and perform its commandments immediately and spontaneously unites us with every, say every, every Jew in the world and every generation of the Jewish people. Ready? Past, present, and future, thereby garnering their support in our resolve. I don't know about you, but that that doesn't scream New Testament, New Covenant to me, like at all, because like that's a whole nother thing. Like the breed that we have transcends time and space so much so that anyone who's ever been in covenant with Hashem is literally it is as if they are next to us and that they're encouraging us. This is probably why the writer to the Hebrews said, since we have a great cloud of witnesses, you know, let us go on, you know, right? So uh I don't know what to do with that. That's just that's just insane to me. It's basically I always like to chalk it up to that final scene of Avengers Endgame where Cap is like I'm going to do this, you know, shields broken, picks up the hammer and he's like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fight. I will take on this whole army by myself. You know, I'm going to fight to my last breath. And all of a sudden you hear cap cap. Can you hear me? 
on your left, you know, and all of a sudden all these portals open up and everybody shows up. That's truly what it's like when we affirm our covenant with Hashem. The moment we turn from our wicked ways and enter into Torah study and fulfilling commandments, the, those portals open up and we enter into the covenant anew. This is why Hashem is known as the master of salvations and a master of consolations. Because it's renew, it's new and 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 it's the same, but it's just new. This is why there's nothing new under the sun, i.e. in creation, but outside of creation, which is above the sun, which, by the way, happens to happen through the moon. There was a whole drop on the Rosh Hashanah and the renewal of the moon, and that's how new things happen because it's not under the sun. But anyway, I digress on that, too. Every day we should, quote unquote, get saved. Every day should be a new day for us to enter in the covenant anew with Hashem. Because, first of all, anytime we come to reading the Torah, it should be as if we're standing at the foot of Mount Sinai on the day of the giving of the Torah which is the same as Yaakov laying down on the same altar his father laid on as an Akedah back during the Parsha of Yaakov's ladder. And also Mashiach's body on the crucifixion stake because Mashiach says this beautiful statement that you from now on you will see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The phrase upon the son of man is the same gematria as Mount Sinai. So if you really want to talk about a new covenant, it's from every modeani. It's with every Shema, which we should be reciting evening and morning. So. Yeah, just just yeah on that. OK, so let's do. Let's finish out our numbers. And, uh, you know, I, I, I thought I was going to split up the new covenant, but uh, I guess I'm not. So we're just going to let it all fly. Just going to let it all fly. So, okay. So here we go. Number 10, because, you know, we got our 10th Brocker, right? So we got the fact that uh, it's the communal whole. So with our Kabets, being the 10th Bracha, which corresponds to Kabetz being the same Gematria as Nitzavim, the whole gathering in principle, we have the fact that 10 integrates all the individual parts into a greater whole. The individual components find their full realization within a wider public setting, as seen in the information of a minion and the makeup of one unified community. So if you want to be a community, you literally have to bring the t at least 10 into unity. So there's that. Let's look at eight because this is the eighth parsha of Bami Bar. And I talked about being in the tent of Hashem, but I want to talk about Mashiach because Mashiach is the epitome of eight talks about Mashiach, the eighth era. So this is all from the Jewish wisdom of the numbers, by the way. I'm on page 128 for those of you who are following. It says the miraculous oil of Hanukkah is a harbinger of the anointing oil 
used to inaugurate the coming of the Messianic era. This process can be traced to King David, who was the eighth of Yishai's sons. So David was the eighth son. Just, that's just, uh, that's just uncalled for, man. All right. Anyway, I'm going to try to continue. The very name of the king, Mashiach, refers to the anointing of the Davidic, Davidic dynasty with oil. So Mashiach himself is the anointing of the Davidic dynasty. So one of the, the teachings from Jewish literature is that when Mashiach comes, he's supposed to reestablish the throne of David, which is also in our Shimon Esrei. <laughs> so that's what Mashiach's death, burial and resurrection was to do was to reestablish the throne. So this is why we're davening for the revelation of Mashiach ben David, because Mashiach ben Yosef is the one who prepares the way. Just as we saw in Bereshit, where Yosef had to go down, subjugate Mitzrayim, so that when his family came, that everything could be set up for them. And Yaakov, before bringing the family down, sent Yehuda ahead of the family to establish the yeshivot. So you have this idea that Yosef sets everything up so that Yehuda, which is the David character, can come in and get everything done. So there's that. <clears throat> Says the oil used in the menorah is related to the Messianic king who will illuminate the world with his light. So. We have this idea of being gathered in and being like oil in the menorah, illuminating the world. This is why if you take to heart the drosh from Rebbe Griffin on Shabbat, man, what a huge honor to be able to do this because we should be lighting up the proselytes, turning them into wicks of the menorah, turning, in, turning them into crowns of the letters of Torah. Bring in the nations by any means necessary within reason, obviously, but whatever it takes, you know, you bring them in. All right. And the other thing, if you look at the Gematria of Nitzavim 192, add it together. One plus nine plus two equals 12. So 12 all has to do with the pathways that it takes to serve Hashem. It says this course, the number 12 corresponds to the 12 tribes of Israel. It offers distinct yet equally authentic pathways and service to Hashem. I always seem to read this every time I talk about 12. So let me go ahead and push past this a little bit. Uh, okay. It says historically, there was a schism in the harmonious, this page 169, and the harmonious coexistence between the 12 tribes. The primary friction was originally played out between Yosef and his brothers, which tragically led to Yosef being sold into slavery and crucified and buried and resurrected on the third day. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, that's Yeshua. Sorry. Um, which led to Yosef being sold into slavery and the eventual descent to Mitzrayim. 
the rupture later surfaced in the division of the kingdom of the Holy Land between the northern kingdom of Israel, which was ten tribes, and the southern kingdom of Yehuda, which was Yehuda and Benjamin. This included hostility and open warfare. The dissent among Yisrael was the primary catalyst for the baseless hatred that brought about the destruction of the second temple. The wound of this schism will be healed when the Jewish people will return as a single nation, and they shall no longer be two nations. No longer will they be divided into two kingdoms. Each of the 12 tribes was unique by being entrusted with its separate mission. Okay, just want to point out, if all of us didn't know, we each have a separate mission and we have to fulfill it together. So all of us, the way we fan out and go and do what we need to do, just remember, everybody's mission is different, but we're all doing it together. So it says... They were nevertheless united in their identity. So this is cool because we all eat kosher. We all keep the Shabbat, but we all have different things that we need to get done. Some of us are in jails, uh, bringing the gospel message by, you know, teaching people Judaism, like making disciples of the nations. That's how you teach the gospel, by the way. The gospel is making disciples of the nations, bringing them into Torah gathering in the divine sparks. Some of us are working in warehouses and, you know, drosh until, you know, our legs fall off and from standing. And then, um, you know, some of us are in office spaces, letting the Aliyah day play where somebody else could possibly hear it if it's not too disruptive or having water cooler or lunchroom conversations. Um, you know, some of us are in school and, you know, we're out on different days. And when we get back, you know, other people are asking us questions. Hey, where were you? We missed you. You know, some of us are on the road driving like a lot, like all across the world, it seems like, but just driving all across America. And we're still same identity. You know, we all identify. So that's the that's so, so beautiful when you really think about it. It's a beautiful tapestry. Not all of us can be a rabbi. Not all of us can be a teacher, but all of us can be a get you some. When when people meet us and when we interact with people, we should be an open gate into the city of God. OK, so in the same way, the 12 diagonals interrelate with one another, functioning within the same framework of the cube the tribes of Israel interconnect with one another. Indeed, the total length of the Jewish encampment in the wilderness was 12 mil. En route to Levan, 12 stones Yaakov placed around his head coalesced into one. This single, or this signified that he would father 12 tribes of Israel who would unite as one. This is why kol echad is a beautiful thing. And we talked about that being related to the gematria of Sag, which is the divine name of 63. So check that out on the previous podcast. 
that was on either Rosh Hashanah GT or Kitabo GT. I can't remember which one. Because in my head, I did both of those together. So anyway, says they were inherently unified through Yaakov, who was their locus, like to the 13th point at the center. So what's interesting is we're talking about a cube here, which was the shape of the tablets, by the way. The sapphire tablets were like cubed. And the centralized point of a cube is the 13th point. Because you have these 12 diagonals that go out and the 12 diagonals meet at a 13 point in the center. So that was probably crazy because normally if we think in terms of a square, we have the four points and then the fifth point is the middle point. But when it comes to a cube, it is the 13th point. Okay, so because now we're in 3D land. Okay, anyway, uh, surrounding Yaakov on his deathbed, the 12 tribes affirmed their loyalty to God, to the God of their father, Yisrael. They said, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hero Israel, Adonai our God, Adonai is the one and only. Notice they didn't mention Trinity. Anyway, uh, it says... In response, Yaakov responded, Baruch Shem Kavod Malkuto Leolam Vaed. Indeed, these two verses have a total of 12 words which parallel the 12 tribes. Despite their differences, it was essential for the 12 tribes to join together in the framework of the 12 tribes forming Kalal Yisrael. The verse beginning, You, Yisrael, are children to Adonai your God has 12 words that correspond to the 12 tribes who are called children of God. You can find that fancy little footnote says Devarim 14.1. See Baal HaTurim and get your eyes poked out. Okay, because that's what's going to happen if you read that. Okay, then it says the unity of the Jewish people using their respective pathways and service to God will merit the final redemption when all of Israel will function as an integrated nation. Come on, man. We all got to do our pathway, man. Like quit trying to be like everybody else and try to outshine and outdo. Everybody needs to shine their own shine and, and do it in the, in the 12 tribe style, you know, and this is like, Oh, I love that. So that's really cool because that that makes it like, you know, you don't have to like outdo anybody. You just you just need to be you. You know, you don't have to be jealous. You don't have to say, oh, I don't even know why I'm here. Like, what's my point? Why do I even exist? Like you have a reason why you exist. You're a water jar. You're a, you're a leader. You're a wood gatherer. You're a wood cutter. You're carrying something or you're patching up somebody's bandage or you're making holla for a met. I mean, uh, you're uh, doing something, you know, productive for the shul. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. I don't know. It was a Freudian slip. Okay. So anyway, that's just what it is. All right. So going on to the new covenant here, I just want to point out G shekel which is Gadai of Bet Yisrael brings us down in this year's commentary, 5779, on Nitzavim. He says, the new covenant is identified 
by the heart having Torah. So when you want to talk about this renewal process here, this breach, it's all about the heart having the Torah. Rabbi Griffin had a beautiful drop about the stones that are to be set up on the the borders of the land when the children of Israel go in and how they're overlaid with plaster and the, the whole entire Torah is written on them. And that plaster was supposed to be a temporary thing because it was supposed to fade away because the goal of Torah is not to be written and posted on something. It's actually to be engraved on our hearts. So the whole thing about the Torah being renewed the covenant being renewed and all of that is about what's happening on the heart, what's happening inside of us and flowing out. This is why Yeshua says it's not what goes into us, but it's what comes out of us that makes us defiled. So if you don't have Torah coming out of you at that point, it doesn't matter what's going in because, you know, OK, so you eat kosher, but yet you're you're saying, oh, I don't I don't think, you know, God's command is for me. I don't I don't want to do this. I'm I'm over here. You know, Paul said, da, 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 da. Side note, his name is Shaul and he was given the name Paul, but he always referred to himself as Shaul. So and even Hashem, when he was talking about setting Shaul and Barnabas apart. He always named him as Shaul. So there's that. So anyway, Jishekel's bringing that down about the heart. He says, Torah will be renewed among the houses of Yisrael and Yehuda. I don't see Rome in there anywhere. I don't see Sunday service people in there. I don't see uh, churchgoers in there. I see Israel and Yehuda, which are Jews. So if you don't want to be Jews, then you don't have a covenant. So that's going to be awkward. And furthermore, if you want to get into the city of Yerushalayim, there's only 12 gates and there's no Gentile gate. There's no Noahide gate. There's no Christian gate. So just say la. And it says the Torah will be written on their hearts. Further, Yisrael and Yehuda will be his people. He will be their God. The conditions of this covenant, ready, says God will put his Torah in Israel's inward parts and write it in their hearts. Yermiyahu 31, 33 and 32, 40. Commentary. If I find it here, go to my screenshots that I took. First of all, 3133 says Messianic times will usher in an era in which God will circumcise the hearts of people from their Yatsahara, as stated in Devarim 30, verse 6. Consequently, the natural human tendency will be to choose correct and virtuous actions in contrast to pre-Messianic times in which the natural inclination is for evil. Yermiyahu reiterates this point by stating that God will seal a new covenant with the nation, free from evil and sin. Also cited by the Ram Bun with the Noon. Shelah brings down 
maintains that the Torah itself will take on an even more spiritual meaning in the rarefied, non-physical atmosphere of Messianic times, hence the eternal covenant is described as new. Maimonides' ninth principle of faith states unequivocally that there will be no other Torah, and one who denies this principle is a heretic. Kedushat Levi explains a person understands the depth and beauty of the Torah in proportion to his perception of Hashem. When Hashem manifested himself through the miracles of, of, of the Exodus, the nation's awareness of him and the Torah achieved a high level. But the greater miracles of the future redemption will enable us to achieve an even greater level of understanding of the Torah, and it will seem to be a new covenant. Also, it says... Don't, don't, don't. Let's see. Next little drop here. Verse 40. Belevavkim. It says, In their hearts... Here, the letter bet appears twice, while in verse 39, the word is spelled with one bet, which is the word for heart. So if you spell the word for heart, it can have one bet or two bets. Okay, so it says the double letter in the second verse of the Shema, like the double letter of the bet. So the double bet in the word Levav in the second verse of the Shema that one should love Hashem Bekolevavka with all your heart, as seen in Devarim 6.5, teaches that one should love him with both his good and evil inclinations, meaning that one should sublimate his physical drives as well as his spiritual drives to the serve or to serve the Creator. Thus, verse 40 speaks about the Messianic era addresses Yisrael at a time when people will be devoted totally to the service of Hashem with both inclinations. So, a Barbanel brings down also on this verse. Uh, now we're going to Yehezkel. So let me jump over here again. So Yehezkel 36 says and that we will see the new heart and the spirit in indicative of the new covenant being discussed and again the description is tied to the messianic kingdom indicating a still future fulfillment of the new covenant promises here's what a barbanel brings down this does not mean that hashem will remove yisrael's freedom of choice man must always be free to choose good or evil Otherwise, he could not be rewarded for doing good. Rather, conditions in the world and the overt presence of Hashem's miracles will be such that you will be convinced and not forced to serve him and fear him. It says, I'll give you a heart of flesh. This is a heart that is soft and prepared to receive good, which good is another name for Torah. That's from the Radak. It says to bless and fear me. That's from the Mahari Kara. Targum renders this verse metaphorically. I will give you 
a God-fearing heart and a God-fearing spirit I will give in your innards. I will break from your flesh the heart of evil that is as hard as stone and will give you a heart that fears me to do my will. It says I'll give you a new heart. It says your your heart will be renewed so that it will incline to good. You will want to choose life. You will want to follow Torah, basically. And then it says, and so that you will accept the word of Hashem with love. Okay. Your lust will be redirected instead of a powerful desire for sin and satisfying your animal appetites. Your intellect will control your heart and you will be influenced to desire what is good and holy and positive. That's from the Barbanel. Okay. Uh, so if you ever thought about being in the new covenant, just please know it's for Jews. So the beautiful thing is anybody can become a Jew if they choose to. So Brukashim, go through my pictures here to make sure I did not leave out anything. Oh, just a quick cap on the word Amuna. Again, I brought up that it's firm firmness, it's faith, it's honesty, it's surety. And so Amuna comes from the word Uman or Amon, which is all about a tutor and one who nurses us. And uh, it's also connected to Amen, which is may it be so. So when we talk about having faith and trust and belief in Hashem, we're talking about having Amuna. It's talking about knowing Hashem is true. That there is no no shadow of turning within him like it's it's here. Like if Hashem says, let there be light like there is going to be light and it's not going to lack. OK, so there's that. Um, OK, so. Let's go ahead and jump into Alul and Yom Kippur and we'll index our time. So, Again, this is something Dr. Sakal shared with me that is absolutely ridiculous. So I just want to share this. It says, in the month of Elul, the soul of each person is especially revealed and illuminating. The numerical value of the word for soul, which is the word neshama, which, by the way, rearranges to the word mishnah, as in the oral Torah. So literally the oral Torah is implanted within us. By digress, the gematria of this word, neshama, equals reak gan eden, the fragrance of gan eden. So if you really want to get close to the garden, you need the oral Torah, if at least if you want to smell it. Okay, so it says the field in which the king is found in the month of Elul is the field of the soul roots of Israel. In this field, Every soul is a holy apple that exudes the fragrance of Gan Eden. Every soul is precious, y'all. Like, wow. In the month of Elul, every person identifies with and unites with his soul root. In this manner, we go out to the field in order to receive the king who comes to the field to rejoice with us. Let us go out to the field in the month of Elul. May each of us pick our own apple, the apple that we will eat on the first night of Rosh Hashanah dipped in honey. May this 
coming year be for a good and sweet year for all. All right. Amen. So that was ridiculous. And moving on to Yom Kippur. So the beautiful bookend of everything that we're going into, we're going to have Rosh Hashanah. It's going to be two days. Some people will be observing the fast of Gedalia, which is on the third day of Tishrei. In between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we have special prayers called Selikot or Slikot, which are penitential prayers. So if you have your Magzur, they're in there. Uh, some of the penitential prayers are in the complete Art Scrolls Hadur. You can also Google them and uh, check those out. So that's some beautiful uh, opportunity for us to really pour our heart out to Hashem. Then we got the fact that Yom Kippur is going to happen. So Yom Kippur is going to happen. Let's get some calendar dates here. Per this podcast, because uh, we're in the year 5779 and we're going into 57780, Bezrat Hashem may be with the final redemption. Um, Yom Kippur will start at sundown on October the 8th, which is the 9th of Tishrei into the 10th of Tishrei. So before sundown, before you go to shul, you want to make sure you have a big festive meal. This is another time where you can take your your fancy challah, you know, make a fancy challah just like you did for Rosh Hashanah and dip it in honey and have it with a beautiful meal. So you don't have to do like a Seder or anything, but just have something very nice, festive. Remember, try not to load up on too much caffeine and lots of sugar and salt because you will be going into a fast <laughs> for 25 hours. So, you know. Like, try to think about some healthy, very hydrating foods to partake of. But still, keep it festive. Uh, the other time you also want to have a fancy festive meal is on the Shabbat Shuva, which is the Shabbat that we have between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Okay, so that's coming up per this podcast. It is October the 5th, which corresponds to the 6th of Tishrei. So on the Arab Shabbat, you want to try to do something, you know, holiday on that. And uh, Shabbat Shuva is just another way of saying, you know, hey, this is your last Shabbat before Yom Kippur, before the sealing of the judgment. You know, Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur is like you've started a court case. And then on Yom Kippur, we're going to end it. Okay, it's going to be done. So, you know, you want to really want to make sure that every opportunity you get, like, okay, Hashem, help me rectify this. I'm not okay with my sin. I am totally not okay with my sin. Like, the more you can do that, the better. Be honest with yourself and things like that. So, <clears throat> that's what we're going to have going on. And then after Yom Kippur, we're going to go into Sukkot. The primary thing of Sukkot is about having your dwelling, your habitation be with Hashem. If you can sit in a sukkah, you want to have a meal in the sukkah any possible chance you get during the week of Sukkot. You have seven days to try to correspond and make make some meals and some some studying, some fellowship, inviting of guests into the sukkah. So three sided structure, you know, some people have a fourth wall and you can have different 
you know, heights and things like that. But no taller than 30 feet, just, just across the board. And you want to make sure, huh, across the board, pun intended. All right, so you want to make sure you have uh, thatchery of some sort, like uh, bamboo mats, or you have shrubbery, <laughs> to quote the Holy Grail, but like some kind of vegetation that you cover it with. And if you really think about what this entails with Sukkot, that this is the festival of ingathering. This would be when you went out into your fields and brought literally everything in because now you're going to get ready to replant soon. And all of the, the stalks and the leftover leaves and things like that that would have been left from after your gleaning, this is what you use to decorate your sukkah. So this is why you see, you know, fruit and things like that decorated in people's sukkah. The, the giant leaves and oversized leaves and things like that. Those are used as sukkah decorations because this is what would have happened in antiquity. Because we have to think from a farmer agricultural mindset because that's really what we did. We didn't go to work in our, you know, high rise buildings and sit on computers all day. You know, we were out in the field. We tended to the sheep, you know. So anyway, just a little point and a picture on that. So you want to make sure that you're in a sukkah whenever you can, reciting the bracha for that and reciting the birka hamazon. So you want to have bread meals as much as possible because you want to maximize. Okay. And on Yom Kippur, just don't eat and cry and pray and study and cry and pray and study. Don't eat. And Yom Kippur, beautiful. Okay. So final thing here. Is this drop from Rabenu Bakia from Vayikra 1630 talking about on that day Hashem is going to make a tone for us. We go into this day so humble and it's like, man, may Hashem have mercy on my soul because judgment is thick right now. And I know I messed up. I did some horrible stuff. And it's like Hashem is going to make a tone for us. Hashem is going to make atonement for us on this day. That right there just makes me cry because I'm just kind of like, I was so caught red handed. I'm so wrong. And Hashem is like, but I forgive you. And by the way, one of the biggest things that we can do is forgive past, present and future because forgiveness is another way to hasten the final redemption. Because when we don't hold grudges with people, we free up a lot of just mentality headspace soul space if you will to really actualize the potential of bringing the final redemption because when no one's upset with each other we don't have basis hatred you know so there's that all right so here we go this is pretty long but you know we can do it all right so first off it says this verse is an assurance for the jews throughout the generations that the day of atonement is a day set aside especially for forgiveness and pardon okay that's what this day is all about this is why we don't eat we got we got reconciliation to make yeshua was like my food is the will of my father don't feed me right now okay so on that day the israelites will be cleansed of their sins against adonai Yom Kippur is ineffective, however, in bringing about forgiveness, atonement, and etc. for sins committed against fellow human beings. Only 
after the person guilty of such sins has been granted forgiveness by the person whom he has wronged, will God add his forgiveness? So if you've sinned against someone, you've offended them. When Hashem comes to make atonement because you haven't gone and sought forgiveness and they haven't forgiven you, there's a there's a lack there. Which I think is speaking volumes about how we're supposed to love one another as we love ourselves. So there's that. And then it says. When the Kohen Haggadol used to recite his confessional on Yom Kippur, he would recite this verse in his prayer. The name of God referred to in this verse is the one comprised of 42 letters. This is why we use the formula of the Lifne Hashem Taharu or Tatharu on Yom Kippur in our prayers, a substitution for the Tetragrammaton, which are uh, the Tetragrammaton we're not allowed to utter. So we don't utter the Tetragrammaton on Yom Kippur, but we do utter this 42 letter name of Hashem. It says the words mean before the 42 letter name of Hashem. The name consists of seven words. The first six representing aspects of the attribute of mercy, whereas the seventh represents the attribute of justice. This is the opinion of my teacher, the Rashba. The 42 letter name is broken down into six times seven. According to some, whereas others break it down into 14 words of three letters. Okay. And then we got, you will find the former version printed before Shabbat Eve hymn of Leka Dodi as a prayer beginning with the words Anabekoak. This dates back to the Arizal. This prayer was almost appropriate. This prayer was all was most appropriate as the day of judgment is a day on which the attribute of mercy achieves prominence within the framework of the attribute of justice. The seventh of the ten emanations, like the seventh sephira of the ten sephirot, counting from the bottom, which was Malkut up, is Gevura or Dean. The attribute of justice. On that day, the Kohen Gadol had to plead with the attribute of justice. I.e., he had to plead with the judge who was presiding over all of mankind. Parading him in front of him, determining their fates for the coming year if they had not already decided to on Rosh Hashanah. That's Rabbeinu Bakia Vayikra 16.30. So why did I bring that up? In a time of absolute judgment, Hashem has allowed us an opportunity to be in absolute mercy. That we may survive and endure the judgment. So what are we doing? What are we saying? What are we thinking about? 
And I just pray that all of us press in towards the high mark and that we truly cry and that Hashem will give us tears and that we bring about the final redemption speedily in our days and that we trust in Hashem and that we just walk in ways that are upright and righteous. And so may it be that you be sealed for a good year, a blessed year, a beautiful Rosh Hashanah. Um, I realized I never did that. Oh, I did. Never mind. I'm just going through all of my little checklists here, making sure I'm closing out everything all good. Okay. Because it's Parsha Nitzavim and we'll be heading into Parsha Vayelik with the onset of Rosh Hashanah. And so everyone, you know, have some apples dipped in honey, have a fancy hala, you know, have some, uh, you know, pomegranates, you know, have some carrots and leeks and, and things like that. So as much as you can, there are so many different things you can do, but most importantly is to recite verses about Hashem being our King, recite the Akedah, sound the shofar, cry tears of Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet, Vekaye Olam Nata Betokeinu, Baruch Atah Adonai, Notein HaTorah, Amen. May you be inscribed and sealed for a good year.